0: From the newsroom of The Washington Post. Washington
1: Post. This is Cleveland with The Washington
0: Post. It's Ellen Nakashima with The Washington Post. This is Post Reports. I'm Lina Muhammad in for Martine Powers. It's Friday, February 19th. Today, what went wrong in Texas and why coronavirus cases are dropping across the United States?
2: Letting everybody in Texas know that we know how much you have suffered over the past few days, and we know the enormous challenges that you've been dealing with because of lack of access to power. We've had everybody in every agency in the state of Texas to make sure that they were going to provide to you the power that you need and the power that you deserve. Power
3: has come back. To most households across the state, there are still several hundred thousand folks who are still in the dark because of downed power lines and some other issues. The problem now is water.
0: A release Hernandez covers Texas for The Post.
3: I and 14 million Texans are under a boil water alert, meaning we don't know if the water is is safe, and so we're having instead to boil it to be able to use it. I myself have been conserving water for several days, boiling it whenever I have power and putting it into all kinds of jars and buckets that I have here to be able to, you know, do things like brush my teeth or or, or clean myself or, you know, or cook even. And that's the situation where a lot of Texans find themselves right now.
0: It's Friday morning. Give us the latest. It's been a terrible week for for
3: Texans. You know, some folks spent upwards of more than 50 hours without water and power in their homes. Some retreated to hotels or, you know, to stay with friends who did have power or a generator, at least, at their homes. Uh, and some people didn't have those options, you know, There were also warming shelters and things like that, but with icy roads and conditions the way they were with the weather, you know, there weren't many people who could move themselves into warmer spaces. And so you had situations across the state where people, unfortunately, were dying of hypothermia. And do we have an estimated number of those deaths? I think we will know more in the coming days. They're coming in little by little. I think the Washington Post has tracked more than two dozen so far. Oh, wow. And I think that number is probably going to climb. That includes a a child in a trailer outside of Houston that apparently froze to death overnight while sleeping. When his parents awoke the next morning, they found that the child wasn't wasn't alive. Um, There's all kinds of horrific stories out there, not to mention, you know, Texas has a real problem with folks who don't live in adequate housing. And that includes people who live on the streets in places like Austin and San Antonio. And so there was a scramble to get these folks out from under, you know, bridges and overpasses and encampments to get them into warming centers or shelters. But not everyone got there in time.
0: Oh, my God. So it's been almost a week since the storm has hit Texas. Um, for the better part of the week, there there was all these problems with the electricity and the grid. But now the issue seems to be with water, Can you explain that to me a little bit? Like, why is there no water? So
3: across the state of Texas, there are different entities and facilities that run water access. It's a big deal here in Texas because, as you know, the state goes through droughts and things like that. So it's managed locally uh, through reservoirs and, and these independent water districts. And a lot of these facilities are run on electricity. And so, and didn't have backup generators, or the generators that they had were too cold. They were frozen and they couldn't generate the power needed to get these pumps to move. For example, I live in the city of San Antonio, and the San Antonio River and aquifers around here are operated by a series of pumps and dams that run mostly on electricity. And so, you know, when when the power gets knocked out and you don't have an alternative source, uh, the flow of water is compromised. The other part of this is, is that there are pipes freezing all over Texas. I think Houston in particular has a, a major problem with this. And when you have pipes bursting all over the place you have water that is spilling out into you know different areas and the pressure goes down system wide the problem's gotten so bad that in Houston the director of public works had to ask people across the city to basically drain their pipes and turn off their water right before they go to bed or before temperatures dipped so that that water would not stay in those pipes when temperatures reach freezing and therefore, you know, give the potential of expanding and busting those pipes.
0: And how are people boiling their water if they don't have power?
3: No, it's it's an acute problem. The, you know, the, the customers in, in Texas have access to, you know, gas and electric. So folks who do have actually gas stoves are able to do this. Or folks who might have some camping gear, you know, like a little camp stove or propane tanks outside can probably boil their water. But you're right. For a lot of people, that isn't real. And so the, the need for bottled water or for, you know, potable water to be brought into communities is great. And that's something that the state has asked uh, FEMA and the federal government to help with with the scarcity of water that a lot of homes and businesses are experiencing right now some business owners across the state have stepped up to to help fill in the gaps and including Will Jaquis, owner of Meanwhile Brewery in Austin
4: The brewery normally has you know close to 4000 gallons of very clean potable water that we use normally for for brewing but we had all this water, and when the water situation became very real for people about two days ago, we decided that we would uh, give this 4,000 gallons or so to our neighbors and, and friends in the community. And we tried to load up people uh, with as much as they could carry.
3: These folks are pulling together their resources to get water to, to hospitals uh, that are in desperate need of it.
4: And then we also filled several kegs with, uh, with water and, and, and sent that out to Dell Seton uh, Medical Center. Uh, Nightingale is a senior uh, um, assisted living, uh, a couple firemen too have just on their own time showed up empty buckets in their trucks and we would just fill them up and they would drop them off at um, their neighbors.
3: And this is sort of the, you know, part of the spirit of Texas, if you will, you know, coming together in, in moments of of strife and disaster, which is something that Texas is no stranger to. How are hospitals getting by? They are supposed to, like other critical infrastructure, have alternative sources of power, backup power, for instance, generators. But Texas is a huge place, and there are communities that don't have access to to all the resources in in more rural or uh, isolated communities, even hospitals in major cities like Austin that needed water to get delivered to them. And in Houston, bottled water. It's just it's, a, it's resource scarcity, right? When when everyone is going through the same thing at the same time, that means there's very little to go around. And that also affected hospitals who have also seen a, a jump in cases of carbon monoxide poisoning and other sort of storm related injuries and illnesses that uh, they're having to deal with.
0: What are officials doing or saying about this crisis besides Ted Cruz deciding to go to Cancun?
3: So it's clear, I think, that the governor is is livid. Um, in the press conference yesterday, you know, he talked about how Texans need answers and that he's making an emergency, you know, legislation to reform the state's Electric Reliability Council. These are the folks who are sort of like, you know, the air traffic controllers of the power
2: grid. We have already begun the process to make sure that events like this never again happen in Texas. And that starts with reforming the agency in charge of, a, of electric reliability in Texas, which is ERCOT.
3: But at one point, you know, a reporter asked the question to the effect of, you know, whether the governor shares any blame for this. And he kind of sidestepped it and, and redirected that that blame towards, again, this body, uh, ERCOT. You know, this is affecting... Everyone across the state, even, you know, Mr. Cruz, who, you know, according to reporting, left Texas because of the house was freezing, according to text messages from his wife to, to other people they had invited on this trip. So there was I don't think there was anyone across the state that wasn't touched. And, you know, there really is doesn't seem to be any other room for an emotion other than anger and contempt for what's happened.
0: Hmm. I remember in 2011, there was a um, similar winter storm. The situation wasn't as dire as it is now. Could this suffering during like this time around, could that have been prevented?
3: No, I think it's clear from the reporting that's taking place and and from, it, in fact, a federal report that was issued after that 2011 freeze in the subsequent uh, summer where they lost, where the heat was pretty extreme and they also lost uh, power in the grid. There could have been steps that were taken ahead of time to have mitigated some of the effects of this winter storm. Now, Keep in mind that this particular storm impacted all 254 counties of, of Texas, which in and of its else is wild and maybe unprecedented. But yes, you know, there are lawmakers, lawmakers I spoke to who you know said that the the state has been warned about this for a long time and there were specific decisions that the public utility commission that the that the governor that state leadership could have taken ERCOT which is the electric reliability council of Texas could have taken to have you know prevented some of the worst effects of this storm that included winterizing you know equipment that that would have necessary you know well and things like that that froze over with all of this. Mm -hmm. And I think at the the very core, there are some fundamental issues with the way that uh, energy is is paid for and distributed in the state. I talked to a representative here in Texas, Lyle Larson, who represents parts of San Antonio, you know, and and he was saying that part of the problem is that the state of Texas only pays for the energy that's produced. That's sort of the pay structure uh, or the market structure that's been put in place. It does not pay any of these power companies to store or have reserves of electricity in cases of extreme weather. And so there are lawmakers and, and policy folks across the state who are calling for a complete overhaul of the way that Texas does this. Part of the reason why the system was set up that way is that, you know, Texas has long prided itself on, you know, the low cost of living and, the, you know, no state taxes to attract businesses and residents to the state. You know, this is the 10th largest economy in the world This is the state of Texas. But I think it's clear to everyone, including the governor, based on his comments in a news conference yesterday, that something drastic needs to change.
0: Mm-hmm. Just the 10th largest economy in the world. And to think of like all the deaths, to think of all like the just the failures of like giving your residents the base, like the basic necessities, right? Like electricity and water, um, like something is very wrong, clearly.
3: It's it's a catastrophe. And you know, it's it's not funny, it's kind of sad, but I was in Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria uh, and had to do these same kinds of stories about water access, about power, about what life without power is like. And I did that on a, you know, on a tropical island where there was immense criticism of the territorial government and the way that energy also worked and was paid for. In some ways, Texas is sort of in the same boat. This is the number one, you know, energy producing state in the country and yet look at where it finds itself it's it's really sort of an interesting tale and i think a warning to the rest of the country about you know how we maintain and build our infrastructure and how we protect those resources especially now that we are seeing the real time consequences of climate change
0: Hadley Hernandez covers Texas for the post
1: new coronavirus cases are on a steady downward trend. My name's Reese Thibault. I'm a staff writer at The Post and I've been covering the pandemic since about February of 2020. We had 80,000 new infections a day in late October, 100,000 new infections a day in early November. On January 8th, we had this peak when the country saw 314,000 cases recorded in a single day. But in about mid-January, we started to see a bit of a decline. And it's been that way for the last month.
0: And why is that?
1: That's the question on everyone's mind. Why is this happening? I think like so much else, the answer is pretty complicated and there's not one reason. But experts have floated a few possible explanations. First is that good behavior is the reason that Americans have finally been adhering to social distancing and masking and that they have not been traveling and gathering like they did over the winter holidays. Another reason is that more and more people are getting vaccinated. A third reason is that the virus may be less effective as the weather improves so that the virus is seasonal. And then a final reason is the high number of people who have already been infected, which has given them some natural immunity to the virus and has narrowed the population of people who could become infected.
0: So let's tackle sort of those reasons. One of the reasons that you just mentioned is sort of like good behavior. And um, the United States was one of the countries that struggled the longest times, it feels like, in the pandemic with, um, quote unquote, good behavior. For the longest time, we were debating wearing a mask. For the longest time, we we're debating social distancing. And so what changed?
1: Yeah, exactly. So much in this pandemic has been tied to behavior. And For the most part in the US, it's been our bad behavior. We did see the effects of masking and social distancing driving down infections when those mandates were first imposed. And then we saw what happened when they were lifted. Mm. And then we saw what happened when we all traveled and gathered over the holidays. Uh, We saw cases, hospitalizations, and deaths all increase. I don't know what exactly changed, but The former CDC director, Tom Frieden, has said that above all else, it's Americans' behavior that's driving cases down. And he points to a few things. He says that people have, by and large, stopped traveling as they were so much during the winter surge, and that they've been better about masking and about social distancing, and that the case numbers should be proof to anyone still doubting that this stuff does work. I guess the flip side of that is that we're also in control of what happens next. So if we relax, if we let up, if mask mandates continue to be rescinded and we all start going to bars and gathering again, you know, there could be a relapse.
0: Another reason you just mentioned for possibly why the cases are dropping is sort of the declining seasonality of the of the coronavirus
1: I think this is probably the murkiest of explanations, that how it behaves is tied to whether the climate is cold or warm. And research is still being done on this, but some scientists have said that COVID-19 does show signs of spreading faster in colder climates. And this has been the case with past coronaviruses. So where the weather has cooled and humidity has dropped, the virus tends to spread faster. As we all see right now, the climate in the US is not exactly warm and is not getting better this week. But researchers are looking at the coming warming temperatures rather optimistically, saying that they may help drive the spread down. And at the very least, that they'll allow people to spend more time outside where the virus does not spread as quickly. So if it if it hasn't had an outsize effect on case numbers in the last month scientists are hoping that it will in the months to come.
0: And how much of this decline in cases can be attributed to the fact that maybe a lot of people already got infected?
1: That's another factor here. So many Americans have already been infected that the pool of people who could potentially get sick has been narrowed. And it it has likely been narrowed even more than we know from this publicly available case data. So here's one metric. Research from Columbia University estimates that a huge portion of cases have gone unreported throughout the pandemic. And the scientists there say that about 120 million people in the United States have already been infected. So that's roughly four times what is known and about a third of the country's population. and. That research hasn't been peer-reviewed yet, but it would lend significant credence to the idea that naturally acquired immunity, immunity through prior infection, is also a factor here.
0: And are we expecting another surge in the coming months or weeks, or are the experts saying that, you know, the cases are just going to continue to decline?
1: It is a good thing that the cases have come down, but they're coming down from a really high place. Experts are optimistic, but these virus variants do pose a significant threat to the recovery. And I think a lot of what the case numbers continue to look like in the months ahead will depend on how we respond to the variants and how the variants are spreading through the country.
0: Rhys Thiebaud writes about the pandemic for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Our executive producer is Maggie Penman. Our senior producer is Brina Flores. Our editors are Alexis Diao and Ted Muldoon, who also composed our theme music. Jordan Marie Smith is a producer. Ariel Plotnick and Renny Svrnovsky are associate producers. The Post Director of Audio is Jess Stahl. I'm Lena Muhammad. Martine Powers will be back on Monday with more stories from The Washington Post.